You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. How are we doing this morning? Oh, I'm just getting started. I'm going to start throwing things in a moment. Can we get the house lights up all the way? Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. I was reminded uh, a couple of weeks ago that um, some of the biggest revivals the church has experienced has broken out on Father's Day. I think the challenge we face with revival is we think that somehow it's going to start outside of us. We think that, oh, I just want to wait for it to happen, then I'll go jump in on it. I really wonder how much Holy Spirit's really waiting for us to be the revival. Well, we are. Can I get an amen to that? Let me just say this. Fear is not your friend. It is not your friend. I think it was Jack Hayford who said one time, why don't you start treating fear like that friend that always lies to you? What do you do to a friend that always lies to you? Yeah, yeah, you on the outer ring right now, bro. <laughs> You're in the outer circle. I'm not having anything to do with that. It might do us some good to, to really think like that. Yeah, I had a... Uh, whew, catching my breath still. Jesus. Does somebody have some kind of spine work uh, surgery that you've had done um, that they put metal pens in your spine? Does anybody in here have that? No? kept seeing a picture of it this morning. I don't know who that's for, but just believing as I was seeing it, because whenever I see things like that, I really believe God wants to put his hand on it and touch it. So anybody have family members or know know somebody like that? Okay, lots. All right. All right. Can we just right now just believe in Jesus' name that God's intervening right there into that spine, into their back, that all those pens, all that metal that is in there doesn't belong. That's foreign to God's creation. And so we thank you God for giving wisdom to doctors and for doing what they do. We, we, we love you for that, but we just say those things go away and absolute restoration come back into the spine in Jesus name. Amen. Yeah. Is it awkward yet? I thrive in awkward. We're going to stay here just a minute longer. Okay. Just see what happens. Yay, God. Jesus. Yay, God. I actually have a lot to say this morning, but I don't ever want to get ahead of what God's doing. Oh, Jesus. 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 had someone say to me a number of years ago, it was part of this church when we were in the other location a number of years ago, just kind of made a side comment and said, I feel like you guys just kind of default to going after healing all the time. And, and I was like, yep, 
Thank you for that encouragement. <laughs> what did Jesus do everywhere he went? Why did he do that? Because he couldn't think of anything else to do? I think it's one of the most profound ways that people come into a connection and relationship with Jesus is through healing. You can't deny when your body gets healed and, and Jesus just shows up and heals it, right? It's just, it's undeniable. Yeah. Wow. Yay, God. Yeah, just stay with me for here for a minute. Just we're waiting on Jesus. We're not waiting on Andrew. Hmm. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yeah, I'm just getting a sense that there's someone here who have gotten recently gotten a diagnosis um, that's discouraged you. And the thing that keeps coming to mind, I don't know if this is it, but is autoimmune disease. Anybody in here got that? Autoimmune? Right there? I I don't know. I just feel like there's everybody just extend your hands there towards Beth. And if you're sitting next to her, put your hand on her. And just do these big prayers that we do here, these real deep theological prayers where we just say, Jesus, heal. Jesus, heal. Right now, no more of that nonsense. All that illegal stuff that gets in the body is trespassing. It doesn't belong there. It doesn't belong at all. So we just say, speak to it right now. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. All of the symptoms, all of that stuff. All of the, even the fear that's attached to it and the worry that's attached to it leave in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anybody, somebody in here, I feel like there's a hernia that God wants to heal. Anybody? I don't mean to embarrass anybody with this. I just, I like to go after whatever God's going after. Anybody in here have something going on? Right there? Just put your hands right there on Pearl. Come on, all of us together. This is a group activity. <laughs> it's the church. It's who we are. So right now, that, that hernia just, right now, dissolve. Dissolve everything, go back into place, all the muscle, all the tissue right now. Jesus, heal, 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 heal. No more of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yay, God. All right. Yeah, that feels good. How you doing this morning? Good? Well, I'm going to continue with this series uh, we've been in. I'll go through most of the summer, I think, uh, on Mythbusters. We're challenging some Western church paradigms that we get so used to that we don't recognize that we're not really living in new covenant realities. How many in here want to live in new covenant realities? I got both hands. If I could put both feet up without falling, I would do it. I want to live in new covenant realities. But there's a challenge to it. I'm coming, beginning to discover and coming to believe that the gospel is so good it's near impossible to believe. When people say stop candy coating the gospel or sugar coating the gospel, I'm like, it is sugar coated. <laughs> it is absolutely sugar coated. It's way too good to be true. That's why Galatians says it's scandalous. 
It's a scandal. That word there, scandalon in Greek, it was actually the word used to describe a bait stick for a trap. Yeah. It is a scandal. It's a, it's a tripping point. It's a trap. It's, it messes us, us up in our own beliefs and our own thinking. The gospel is just really that good. Jesus is that good. However good you think God is, take that number and multiply it. And then when you think you got that number, multiply it again. And then keep multiplying till you can't think of how to multiply it anymore. And we might start at that point to get close to how good God is. He's that good. I mentioned last week talking about the bracelets, the WWJD. You guys remember that? We asked, what would Jesus do? I think it's the wrong question to be asking. We should be asking, what is Jesus doing? Because what would Jesus do makes him a historical figure, not a present savior. And he's ever-present. We have to be asking the question, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing now? So I want to take a look this morning. I'm going to start. I'll probably be two parts into this section as much uh, as well. Um, And here's the myth. Ready? Here's the myth. There are times of separation from God. There are times of separation from God. Anybody ever feel like that? Now you're afraid to raise your hand, right? I feel like that. There are times I feel like that, but I've started to discover, too, that my feelings are a true representation of my perceived reality. They're not a true representation of reality. They are a true representation of my perceived reality. That means they're real. I feel it, I feel this, and that feeling is real, but it doesn't necessarily mean it relates to actual facts or truth. So I want to talk about that this morning. This union thing that God has brought us into is way too good to be true. He's brought you into such union with him, such oneness with him. And we're going to discover that as we go through this. But what I want to address this morning is that myth that somehow there's times of separation from God or there are things that I can do that will separate me from God. It's impossible. Paul said it. I'm convinced neither height nor depth, nor things present nor things come, all these, nothing, principalities, powers, nothing can separate me from the love of God. I'm absolutely enveloped inside of him. And whether I feel it or not, doesn't change the fact that he's still there and I'm still in him. Come on, somebody say amen to that. I believe our union is primarily twofold in purpose. The first and primary reason is this. He chose you is the simplest enjoyment of divine cohabitation. That's the primary thing. He chose you and I simply for divine cohabitation. What? That just doesn't sound very interesting. Sounds amazing to me. Go back to the garden. God started by saying, let there be light. Then he formed the worlds, right? Then he started making animals. He started doing all this stuff. And then he said, I'm going to form man to put him right in the middle of it all, to give him dominion over it. And what does it say about Adam and God? They walked together in the cool of the evening, right? Why? Because he designed us for cohabitation with him. Go back to the beginning. What Adam got to experience in the garden and then ultimately lost was restored in the Garden of Gethsemane. Can I say that a better way? What was lost in the garden was regained in a garden. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Jesus says. He goes to the cross, takes all of humanity with him. All the sin, all the sickness of the world, he takes it on himself and he says, this is how much I love you. I want this kind of union with you. Come on, that's good news, isn't it? The second is a byproduct of the first. Are you ready? The second is to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody say this with me. Bear the fruit of the Spirit. This is what you're designed for. Romans 7, 4 says this, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. This is 
This is part of it. How many of you here want to bear fruit? How many of you in here know that you can't force fruit? <laughs> right? If, you've, if you're forcing fruit to come out of your life, it's fake fruit. It's that plastic stuff your grandma had sitting on her table. If you're forcing it, it's not God. You can't force fruit to grow. Come on. Can I get an amen in here? You can't force fruit to grow. I did a, recently I talked to a bunch of students about this, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And oftentimes in the church, we fall victim of this separation between us and God. And we think that somehow this, Ephesians says this is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? And we think that somehow when we read that, oh, man, I need to start producing more fruit. So we try to be more peaceful. We try to be more patient. Can we just settle the issue right here? It's impossible. You can't do it. You can't do it. And if you find any success in doing it, number one, it's man-made, so it's not real. And number two, it's going to lead you to two places. You're going to find you can't do it, and you're going to end up getting depressed, or you're going to find you think you're producing it, and it leads you to pride. What What am I trying to say? The fruit that man produces is fake. Fruit that is produced only comes through John 15, abiding in the vine. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, right? What does a branch do? It goes. Does a branch sit there and go, got to make a grape? I'm going to make a grape. I know it's silly. It's silly to think like that. But man, if we're being honest, we think like this sometimes. I think it's because there's this ideas that got, idea that got brought into the Western church called dualism. It's called dualism. It goes way back to the early Greek philosophers where there's compartmentalized life, where there's the spiritual and there's the natural. From God's point of view, there is no separation. We think in terms of supernatural and natural. God only thinks in one term, natural. You're going to get it in a minute. We think supernatural, natural. He thinks one, natural. You hear what I'm saying? We are the ones that compartmentalize. It's this dualistic thinking that thinks that somehow God's over there, I'm over here, I'm doing my best to try to get to him. Good luck with that, by the way. All you have to do is sit down and read your Old Covenant, read the Old Testament, and you'll, you'll quickly discover that man's attempt to get to God never did work. Never did work. As a matter of fact, when you read the Old Covenant, we need to read it with that lens. First of all, read it with the lens that Jesus, see everything through the person of Jesus Christ, always. See everything through the person of Jesus Christ. And when you read it, you start to recognize, wow, sin is terrible. Sin is terrible, and I can't do anything about it. Oh, that's why. That's why we need that spotless lamb. That's why we need that person called Jesus. He's the one that came to what? Take away the sin of the world? But we're still stuck in this dualistic kind of thinking where we still have this compartmentalized life of natural, supernatural, the spirit, the natural. We have God, we have man. And I'm just here to tell you the good news. The good news is you've been brought into wonderful union with him. The gospel message is not about separation. It's about union. The separation that we hearken to in Christendom is not God from man, but man from God. Colossians 1 says this, 21 and 22, it says, Even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions. Now, I want to pause right there. It says, you were once distant from him. So was there a distance? Yes. Where was the distance? 
in your mind. New King James Version actually says that. It says, you who were once alienated in your mind. What did we say earlier? A lot of times the thoughts and beliefs we have, they come from feelings. We think they're real, but they're not real, but they feel very, very real to us, right? I mean, if I were to call, if I were to just say, hey, man, I just got a call from the police department. Your house just burnt down. That's going to evoke a feeling inside of you, right? But I could be lying to you. So the feeling may not reflect the truth. I know this is, it breaks down. You hear what I'm saying, though? It may not reflect the truth. He's saying this right there. You who were once alienated in your minds, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. So who was the one that had the distance? Us. Remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? Who ran? Was it God or Adam? It was Adam. Church, there's something about first mentions in the scripture. Whenever you see it, it sets precedent for everything else to come. It's, it's precedent setting. It says that when you see an action like that, first mentions in scripture, it's setting a precedent for what happens afterwards. When we see Adam running from God, trying to hide from him, I mean, how foolish is that? I mean, really, you've got God who's everywhere, and you're trying to run and hide. We're going to find out a little bit more about that in a minute. Where's he going to go? He says right here, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. And now there's nothing between you and the Father God. For he she sees you as holy, flawless, restored. Put your hand on your heart. Say, yeah, come on, that's good stuff. I am holy. Say it, I'm holy. I am flawless. I am restored. What is happening in your mind right now? Are you wrestling with that? I think oftentimes when we wrestle with doing things like that, it's because we're believing a lie that is inconsistent with the truth, and we're still wrestling with it. It's okay. It's okay. We just need to keep it in front of us till we start lining up with what he's saying. Put your hand on your heart again. I'm flawless. Yeah, I'm restored, and I'm holy. But Andrew, here's the question I get sometimes, but Andrew... The word says that sin separates us from God. Yeah, Isaiah 59 too. Let's read it. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Just break down the words for a moment. Your sins, your iniquities have brought separation between who? You and God. Did God run or did we run? The separation is on our part. How many in here sin? Yep, everybody does at some level. Do you feel it? Do you feel a distance from God in moments like that? I do. I still do. There's parts of me that just feel like, oh, my God. The reality is he never goes anywhere. What that does, what sin does, is it breaks down. It breaks down our understanding of where God really is. This is why it's so detrimental to us. Jesus paid for sin and sickness and disease, right? Right? He's not, he doesn't have to punish us. I think I talked about that last week. He doesn't have to punishment, punish us because sin carries with it its own punishment. He doesn't have to. He's standing there the whole time. He's saying, yeah, I understand that feeling. I get it. But listen, I'm right here. I've never gone anywhere. Your sins separate you from God. It doesn't separate God from you. And your sins, it goes on to say, have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. Your sins. What? It's not God hiding his face. Our sins cause that to happen. Does this make sense? Sin caused man to run from God, but it caused God to run to man and then create an inseparable union with man. When we fell away from God, we wrongly assumed that he fell away from us. 
But we're getting better understanding now, aren't we? Psalm 139. I'm giving you a lot of scripture today. Psalm 139, 7 through 11. One of my favorites. Here's David talking. I, I love this. And I love David because I think more, well, we know he's a man after God's own heart, but I believe the reason why David is called that is if you think about this for a moment. David lived in old covenant realities. We understand that, right? He knew something about the new covenant. He he had to have understood something because he keeps talking like that. He talks according to new covenant realities when he's living in old covenant realities. I mean, come on. What makes a man go, I lie on my bed thinking about your law day and night. I love it. (laughs) What happened? What was he seeing? He was seeing beyond the law itself, and he saw the lawgiver. He saw beyond the law. He saw the lawgiver. And he saw how awesome and righteous and wonderful he was. And he says, that's what I want. I believe that's what he's saying. I, I lie in my bed and I meditate on your law. I love it. I meditate on it day and night. Because when I do, I find you in it. Here's another passage of scripture. I believe he's getting an understanding of new covenant realities. It's Psalm 139, verse 7 through 11 says, Where could I go from your spirit? Where can I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide. For your presence is everywhere bringing light into my night. Come on. Come on, when you read that from that perspective, do you see what David is gathering? He's starting to recognize there's this omnipresent God that's everywhere, and it doesn't matter if he's in the middle of sin or if he's in the middle of feeling fantastic. There's God right in the middle of it. He can't go anywhere to escape him. I don't know about you. This encourages me. It also makes me wonder what hell is like because it says if I go to the depths of hell or she-hole, there you are. Now, I'm not a theologian on hell, but I even believe personally. All right, I want to mess with your heads a little bit here. I don't believe hell is separation from God. Because it says that. Even if I go there, there you are. What would be worse, separation from God or being so close to him to be able to see him and not be able to access him? What would be more torturous? What would be more torturous than to not have your family around you or have them around you and not be able to access them or touch them? I don't know, just a thought. I don't think that it is ultimately separation from God. I think it's the absolute understanding of his presence and getting to experience it fully but never being able to access it. Just a thought. Separation is very real from our perspective, but the gospel is the good news that proclaims the union with him. As a matter of fact, let's look at some New Testament passages. The New Testament never says that Jesus died to reconcile God to man, but from man to God. God was not, Jesus was not paying off an evil, angry father because he hated us so much. He was not paying off an angry God in order to use Jesus like a whipping boy so that he could say, okay, finally, you took out my wrath somewhere so I can finally love you guys. Come on, how does that feel? How would that feel if your father did something like that to you? I'm going to beat somebody over here so that I can finally love you. Now I feel better about myself and I feel better about you. That's not the point at all. It was to reconcile man to God. It wasn't reconciling God to man. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 5.18. 
And God made all things new and reconciled us to himself. Everybody say, us to himself. himself. Right, it wasn't God to man, it was man back to God again. And given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. Come on, this is really good. If you want to know what your purpose is as a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's reconciling others to God. Well, how do you do that? You start telling them about the reconciliation that you have in him. Come on, does this help? Here's what God did for me. In the middle of my crap and my junk and all that stuff, I finally came to the revelation, the realization, I woke up to this thing that he took care of all that stuff and brought me back into union with him. All I can do is say, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Colossians 1.20, and by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself. You see the picture there. What was gone? All the other stuff was gone. He brought it back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. Put your hand on your heart. I'm restored to innocence. Oh, man. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not saying that we can sin and not deal with it. I'm not saying that at all. Somebody with me? I got eyes, right? I'm not saying you can sin and not deal with it. I'm just simply saying, sometimes we get so wrapped up in our sin and how bad we feel, I wonder how often that Holy Spirit, that God is sitting right there going, what are you talking about? He said he would take sin and he would remove it from us as far as the east is from the west and he would remember it no more. Just a thought. This is how my mind's working through all this stuff. I just wonder how many times we're sitting there going, oh, God, I'm so terrible. I did this thing. And he's going, what are you talking about? Do you know who you are? You forgot who you are. Hello? Come on. Is this good news? <laughs> I'm not saying don't deal with sin. Sin has consequences and it's not good. This is not a license to sin, and we're going to deal with that in a later subject. There is no such thing as a license to sin. There's no, there is no such thing as too much grace that gives a license to sin. I'm just simply saying, oftentimes in our own minds, we find that sin will bring that separation idea, that concept, that thought into us, that when we sin, that somehow God is way over there, and it never has happened. Never has happened. Here's another one, Romans 5.10. So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself. Are you beginning to get the picture here? Fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. Ephesians 2, 15 and 16. This one's speaking specifically about between the Jews uh, and the Gentiles, but it totally applies to all of us. Ethnic hatred has been dissolved by the crucifixion of his precious body on the cross. The legal code that stood condemning every one of us has now been repealed by his command. His triune essence has made peace between us by starting over, forming one new race of humanity. <laughs> I love that. Forming one new race of humanity. Jews and non-Jews fused together. Two have become one, and we live, here it is, restored to God and, his rec- and reconciled in the body of Christ. Through his, through his crucifixion, hatred died. Come on, that's a good word, isn't it? You still with me this morning? I'm hoping this is helping. My dad used to always say, he's a preacher. He, would say, he said this all the time. He goes, repetition is the price of knowledge. He says it all the time. Church, repetition is the price of knowledge. Some of this stuff may sound very elementary, but here's what I've discovered in the church. It's the elementary things that we wander away from. It's like what I feel like is like I feel like a coach right now. What does a coach do? Coach is going to come back and talk to the team about fundamentals. Right? If it's a football coach, what's he concerned with? Catching the ball. (laughs) Tackling. 
He's concerned about foundational things. That's what he says. I'm, I, I, don't stop tackling. I know you want to make this play, but don't get your head so caught up in the play that you forget how to tackle somebody. You forget that you've got to catch the ball. You've got to hold on to the ball. You're with me. This is what coaches do. I feel kind of like that, that we're coming back to some primary things, some elementary things, but we have to get this settled in our heads because this idea that there's separation between me and God is hurting the church. It's hurting the church. God's always in a good place. I may not be. God is always in a good place. And I'm slowly starting to get my head around this, that if I'm not in a good place, it's not because he went somewhere. It's because I wandered off. I just got distracted. Anybody in here get distracted by things, just life and stuff, right? Shiny. And then you wonder how you get there. Then all the feelings start settling in because of the thoughts that we have that are completely inconsistent with truth, but we still have those thoughts running through our head and we can't come back to it because we feel like there's some kind of separation there and I need to do something in order to get back in good graces with him. Good luck! It'll never happen. This union with Christ, we have to reconcile it. We have to reconcile it or we will have a, it will have a profound effect on some of the most important areas of life. And I want to talk about some of these areas of life. So when we're doing this Mythbuster series and we're talking about separation and there is no separation, I'm going to talk about specific areas where I find this happening. First one is this, prayer. If I see the Father as separate from me when I pray, it will affect how I pray. Hello? That's why Jesus taught us to pray our Father in heaven. Our Father, first of all, it's family, and it says heaven. Now, we can look at that and go, well, he's in heaven, and I'm down here on earth. Eh, wrong. Thanks for playing. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 6 tells me I'm seated with him in heavenly places. Come on. I got a revelation of this one time. I was at a YWAM base in Nashville, Tennessee years ago. I'll never forget it. I can remember the temperature of the room, the light of the room. I remember where I was sitting. I was doing some reading, recreational reading on my own, and I came, on my own. I came across Ephesians 2, 6. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. And I was like, what? Now, I'd known that, but I didn't know it. I knew it. I didn't know it. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. All of a sudden, my mind started going to these fantastic things. Like when I'm praying then, Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I used to think like this, on earth as it is in heaven, like I was pulling heaven down. I can't pull heaven down. I can enforce it, though, because if I'm seated with him in heavenly places, now I'm saying your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, does this make it easier? I'm not begging God to do anything. If I'm seated with him and I have access to it, if I've been given everything that I need for life and godliness, now I'm not begging him to do anything. I'm enforcing it. Is this helpful? It's one thing to pray, understanding union with him. Another thing to pray when we feel like we're separated from him. What does this idea mean? Here's what will happen. If I pray with the thinking that there's separation between me and him, it will reduce what should be declarations down to petitions. Healing in Jesus' name. That's a declaration. A petition will be, God, will you heal? You see the difference? And it all has to do with perspective. If I don't see myself in union with him, I will fall into that. I'll start asking God to do things when I should be declaring them to happen. I wonder how often we do that in the church. Guys, somebody has a prayer request. Shoot up a prayer for me. I never understood that. Shoot up a prayer. I'm already in heaven. I don't think I can go any higher. 
shoot up a prayer. But it reveals, you hear what I'm saying? It reveals the separation ideology. Guys, shoot up a prayer for me. First of all, if anybody has ever asked you to do that, can I challenge you to do something? You ready for this? It's going to rock your world. Pray for them right there. Don't answer with, I'll do that. Amen, brother. I'll do that. No, do it right there. Right then, right there. How many people on social media do we have? You ever see somebody put something on social media? Yeah, I'm going through some stuff. I need you to pray for me. Do it right there. Type it out. Send. <laughs> Kingdom of God just entered your life. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? If I am seated with him in the heavenly places, if somebody's asking for prayer from me, I'm going to do it right there. I know oftentimes we see this, like with our OSSM outreach, you know, there'll be times we'll be doing some stuff and we'll say, can I pray for you for that? And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate that. No, no, no. I mean, right now, can I pray for you for that? And it's awkward. It's really awkward, but I don't want to let people get away. I don't want to let people get away from the encounter that can happen because I got the kingdom of God inside of me. And when I open my mouth, it comes out. This happened. I thought it was so funny. I was on a, um, uh, I'm part of the Bethel Leaders Network, and they have these Zoom meetings every month. And so I'm on a meeting this last week. It was Tuesday or Thursday. I don't remember. Anyway, I'm on this meeting, and there's about nine of us on there from all different parts of the southeast. And the leader, who's out at Bethel, said, Andrew, will you close us up at the end? Will you close us up in prayer? And I was like, heck yeah. But what I was feeling in the moment was like, I have phenomenal cosmic power in this itty-bitty living space. <laughs> I could feel it. I could feel the authority of God. I just felt this thing on me like, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter what happens right now. God's going to show up. So I started praying. Don't even know what I was praying. When I got done, I looked. The revival group, group leader who was leading the thing was laying on the floor. And she goes, at the end, she gets back up and she walks up there and she goes, can you just come do that for me every morning? <laughs> I don't know that I always have that every morning, but it felt good in the moment to know that somebody wanted it. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? When we pray, we have to understand there is no separation. I'm not asking a God sitting in heaven to go do something for me. I'm sitting with him. I've got the mind of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians, that we start thinking like that. So when I pray, I don't have my, my declarations reduced down to petitions. What should be declarations should stay declarations. Heal in Jesus' name. Heal. We don't even do that around here. We don't correct people if they say it, but we, you'll find if you're around here long enough, we don't pray, God, if you're willing. Why? Because we know he's willing. We saw it in scripture. Somebody came to him and said, are you willing? He goes, I'm willing. Settled. Oh, well, that was for that instance right there. I just can't believe that. I can't believe that. I've had people ask me then, well, why do you pray for some people and they don't get healed? I don't know. Well, why does that happen? I don't know. I refuse to build a theology about it. I don't have anything in Scripture that tells me here's why people don't get healed. I want to know, I want to follow what Jesus told me to do. Are you with me this morning? I want to, if he says heal the sick, he doesn't say pray for the sick, he says heal the sick. Heal them. Then I have to adjust myself. I don't have to adjust the circumstances. I don't have to move circumstances to make me feel better about praying to heal the sick. I have to adjust myself. If I don't feel like my prayer is going to change somebody or heal somebody in the moment, then I have to come to the realization that it's inside of me the problem's happening, not out there. Thank you. That'll preach. Come on. Mm-hmm. 
He says in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That's all that part of that John 15 connected to the vine. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. What do we do? We take those passages and go, okay, all right, I've got to start abiding. <laughs> okay. Abide. Abide. How do I do that? Yes, same same way you squeeze out a grape. <laughs> How do you abide? Are, am I, come on, am I talking real here? Am we just being real? Are you, you think like this. Tell me I'm not the only one. Please, I'm feeling really sheepish right now. Okay. You, you feel, I need to abide. I'm going to start abiding again. I'm going to abide. I just want to ask people when they say that, how are you going to do it? How are you going to connect yourself to a vine? First of all, let's start with the reality of what he has already declared. I am the vine, you are the branches. Right there, it's saying you're attached. So if I'm not feeling it, i got to check this right up here. i got to check this whole business going on between the ears and go, what's going on here? If I'm not lining up with that, the reality is I'm attached to him. We turn that into if you abide. No, you're abiding. You're there. you just got to remain there. you got to keep your headspace in the right place. If you're abiding, think about this moment. The people that you hang around, you begin to talk like them. (laughs) Maybe if we hang around him a little bit more, we'll start talking like him a little bit more. Yes. I don't know about you. This gives a whole whole new meaning to pray without ceasing when Paul says that. Have you ever heard that? Pray without ceasing and you take it as, oh, God, i got to pray more. I want to become like David, the man after God's own heart who ultimately said, I have become prayer. That happened to me one time at a YWAM. A lot of things happen at a YWAM. God's there, I'm just saying. I remember talking on a class about this kind of stuff, and then I went into the lunchroom after one of these long session classes. I went into the lunchroom, got my lunch, sat down at a table, and I could tell people were feeling really awkward about wanting to sit with me. And so I was like, yeah, come sit down. And one guy goes, oh, well, I thought you were praying. I didn't want to interrupt your prayer. And I was like, I think it's really funny that you think you can interrupt my prayer. Do you know you can pray and have a conversation with someone at the same time? Come on. Hello. Why do we do this? Let's pray. Where did we learn that? Close your eyes. Bow your heads. Where do we learn that? I know it's awkward for some people, but when I'm praying for them, I'm looking them right in the eye. You feel it. You feel this like, get away from me. What are you doing? Because my prayer isn't based on slipping into a mode. Let's pray. <laughs> you guys get what I'm saying, right? Like if we understand our union, we're going to pray with declaration. We're going to pray with power. We're going to pray with enthusiasm. We're going to recognize that when I pray, I'm connected to him, and all of heaven is backing me up. All of heaven is backing me up. I don't have to beg him to do that. So that's one area of prayer. You ready for another one? How much time do we have here? Are you guys still with me? We're doing good. Man, Andrew, you're doing awesome. All right. Second area, phrases. Phrases. I'm going to throw some out there. Now, please, please, if I say something here that you're used to saying, please don't take this as a, oh, my God, he's saying, don't ever say that again. That's not what I'm saying. What I am asking us all to do is to stop and have a think. Let's all stop and have a think. Think about the phrases that we say. Here's one. You ready? Well, I'm only human. Hmm. 
Are you? Are you only human? I don't think so. 2 Corinthians says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. That word new there is not new as in you got a new version of the old. That word new there is absolutely something other than. That's the word new there. It's not just a, a souped up model, a cleaned up model of the old. It doesn't mean that at all. That word new means you're absolutely, completely different. You're a new creation. Are you merely human? Don't think so. Well, I'm only human. I like what C.S. Lewis says about that. You guys like C.S. Lewis? Yes. The guy's a beast. He says, you have never talked to a mere mortal. Think about that for a moment. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Did you know that? Whenever you're engaging your brothers and sisters, you're talking with God. Come on, is this messing with your head a little bit? If I don't see individuals like that, I will treat them inappropriately. It's an abuse of power is what it is. Because I've never talked to a mere mortal. We are being transformed from glory to glory. That means your starting place is way better than you think. You're not going from garbage to glory. You're going from glory to glory. Come on, your starting place is way better than you think. Here's one. I just need to get closer to God. Just need to get closer to God. Come on, I'm guilty of saying it. I just need to get closer to God. How are you going to get any closer? Seriously. What that does is it reveals the separation mindset. It reveals God's over there. I'm over here. I need to get closer to him. You can't get any closer to him. Your mind may have wondered. Your mind may think that you're far from God, but you are not. You know how if you're feeling distant from God, you know what the best thing you can do is? Stop in the moment and go, I have the fullness of you inside of me. Come on, does this help? Come on, let's shifting our thinking here. This is what we're doing. I'm the coach. I'm just shifting this back into this baseline stuff right here. I have the fullness of God inside of me. I've been given everything I need for life and godliness. I am in direct union and connection with him. Jesus even told his disciples, once I return, after the death and the resurrection, burial and resurrection of Jesus, he goes, I'm going to go away and you won't see me, but I'm coming back and you'll see me and then you're going to know. I'm in you, you're in me, and I'm in the Father. You guys get the picture there? This kind of messes with people when I say this sometimes. You're so much wrapped up into the Trinity that if you were any more a part of the Trinity, you'd be a threat. I'm messing with you, right? <laughs> this is how connected you are to him. So these, things, these ideas of I need to get closer to God. Here's another one. I need to seek God. Remember, if God's not around, who left? I need to seek God. God didn't go anywhere. And by the way, he's everywhere in any given moment. It's right there. There you are. There you are. If you need to seek God, it can be in a half a second. I need to seek God. There I am. There you are. Oh, come on. Is this helping you this morning? I'm not saying, I'm not saying there are times where you just, you don't need to do anything. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we need to shift our mindset so that we don't have times where we're compartmentalizing our life and saying, well, over here is where I meet with God and over here is where I don't, I don't meet with God. He's constantly, always present, always present. Here's another one. Just press into God. Press in. I want to ask the question, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you press in? Do I whip it up with some kind of affectation in my flesh? How do I do that? I don't think I can get any closer. 
Come on, guys. Are you with me this morning? I'm not trying to be picky about words. This is not what I'm saying. I am saying I want to challenge us into starting to think. Think a little more accurately about who God is, who we are in him. Because I know for me, if I'm feeling like that, and there are times where I feel really, really bad. I feel really separated. I feel really distant. Come on, please tell me I'm not the only one in the room. I feel these things. They happen. But I know this. Sometimes that kind of separated feeling, that kind of depressed feeling feels good. Hello? It feels good. It doesn't feel good, but it feels good. It feels good, and I can tell you why it feels good, because we know what's true, but we don't go after it. And that tells me this feels better than that. That tells me if I want to stay in my place where it doesn't feel good and have some kind of distant feeling with God, that I, it tells me that that feeling that I'm in right now feels better than what I've experienced with him, and I need to run into that at him and say, I need more of you. I need more of that experience in you. I need more of that connection in you. Come on. I'm hoping I'm giving some helpful tangibles here. I'm talking about real stuff, church. I've been in this thing for 52 years. I understand it. I understand. We still have this thinking that somehow inside this room I can connect with God, but when I go into the parking lot, I can't. That when I get into my office at work, that's something separate. Wrong. You house him. We are temples, we're tabernacles, we are houses, we are tents full of Holy Spirit. You take him with you everywhere you go. You can't separate yourself from him. You can't divorce yourself from him. You can't divest yourself from him. He is in you, on you, through you all the time. To the degree that we wake up to that understanding is how much we will give him off. To the degree that I wake up to that understanding that he's in me, on me, through me, with me, every time, that's the degree I will give him off. I love Bill Johnson. He says, you will give off the kingdom you're most aware of. You will give off the kingdom you're most aware of. Why is it we don't have more of the kingdom of heaven being released in the earth? Because people are too aware of this kingdom. I'm still too much aware of this kingdom here. I'm still thinking about, are they going to like me? How do I fit in? Do I say the right thing? Can I impress them? Is there anything that I can do to make myself look good here? We're still so much aware of this kingdom that we can't release the kingdom of heaven because that's the one we're most aware of. All right. Can you handle one more? Yes. Here's another one. I talked about prayer. I talked about phrases we use. I want to talk about the prophetic. We're a prophetic church. We're prophetic people. We're designed to be a prophetic people. All of us are designed to be a prophetic people. Of all the gifts that you find listed in Scripture, the gifts of the Son in Ephesians 4, the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, and the gifts of the Father in Romans 12, of all those gifts, there's only one of them that is mentioned all three times in its prophecy, prophetic, prophet, all of that. We're designed to be a prophetic people. The easiest way to tell, though, if somebody's living a new covenant prophetic is listen for the separation in the language when the prophecy comes. Listen for the separation thing. Here's one of my favorites. I know I am stepping on toes here, guys, and I'm not trying to lay it down a law here. I'm just simply saying think. Have a think with me. God's going to do a new thing. Pulling that out of Isaiah. God's going to do a new thing. I am still trying to get a hold of what he did 2,000 years ago. That was the new thing he was pointing to, by the way. That's what he was pointing to. He was pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. He's going to do a new thing. I am still trying to get a hold of what that new thing is. Or when somebody says, 2020 is going to be a bad year, 2021 is going to be a good year. 
okay, you may be onto something right there, but I do know this, that my, not, my life is not subject to the whims of that. That even if it's a bad year, that doesn't mean I'm going to have a bad year. You hear what I'm saying? Hello? Quick little lesson on the prophetic. The reason why prophets were killed in the old covenant when they got the prophetic wrong was because they were the ones that had the spirit in them. Nobody else did. They had to get it right. You ask that question, well, what's different in the new covenant? Everybody's got the spirit in them. In the old covenant, the prophet was responsible for the word they released because they had the spirit in them. Nobody else did. In the new covenant, the receiver of the word is just as responsible because you have Holy Spirit inside of you. Come on, is this helpful? This is why we don't stone prophets anymore. Aren't you glad to that? Somebody say, amen, let's don't do that anymore. That's why we don't do that, because the economy changed. The old covenant was nobody knew. If I were to prophesy to David Manning back there in the old covenant, I had the spirit of God and I said it. He didn't know. He had to take it for face value for what it was and run with it. There was no way to test it. There was no way to check it. That's why they were so responsible. In the new covenant, he's got a Holy Spirit. So I can release a word in good conscience before God, but if I get it wrong, he's also responsible to go, wait a minute, does that line up? Does that feel like it's right? If you get a word where you're unsure of, you just don't know, it's okay. Put it on a shelf. Hold on to it. If you get a word and you're going, I know that's not God, flush. You know where that goes, right? If you're unsure, just hold on to it. Hold on, and recognize this, that sometimes prophetic words can come out of the most strange, strange vessels. I'm one of them. <laughs> prophetic words can come from very strange places. I remember driving up to our church in Nashville one time. That church there, I think there was homeless people that came on the deed. They were just part of the property. property. They were there, you get the building, you get this with it. And I remember getting one frustrated one Sunday so bad that I drove up on a Sunday, and there those guys are lined up against the building again asking me for something. Hey, can we get some food? And I'm getting worn out. I am flat worn out. And I'm like, that's all you ever want. And I heard in that moment, I heard Holy Spirit say to me, would you let one of those guys prophesy over you? Because they can. You hear what I'm saying? We're responsible for prophetic, but prophetic has to be, in its truest form, I believe, it comes from new covenant realities. It doesn't come from old covenant paradigms. Old covenant prophetic had to do with foretelling a future hope using language filled with shadows and types. New covenant prophecy points back to the achievement of Christ on the cross, and it awakens people to the reality of what they now possess in Christ. Come on, does this help? If somebody's prophesying hope into my life, what they're really doing, if they're prophesying from a new covenant reality, they're prophesying hope into my life based on the things that have already been deposited in there because I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. Right? You see the difference? Every prophetic word, I heard Bill Johnson say this, every prophetic word that you receive is like if he prophesies, if somebody prophesies oak tree over you, Mindy, then what they're really giving in the word is the acorn. And how you steward that will determine where that oak tree grows and when. Does this make sense? I'm responsible for it. I need to steward it. What I would like to see is a shift in the church culture where we stop chasing down prophetic words and we start living in the ones we already have. I had a prophetic word spoken over me when I was 15 years old. And it came out of an old covenant passage of scripture. It says, Andrew, you are of the tribe of Issachar. 
Now, if you look in Scripture, Issachar is mentioned twice. I'm like, come on, can you give me more? (laughs) But it says of the tribe of Issachar, it says, those are the men who understood the times and they knew what Israel needed to do. Well, I know that. I know that's part of my calling. This is who I am. I want to see the church wake up and walk in freedom. And if I'm of the tribe of Issachar, then what I want to do is if I understand the times and I know what the church needs to do, then I'm going to speak that. We need to come back to living in new covenant realities. Get rid of the old covenant paradigms. Paul even says in two different places, he says, those things that were written before were written for our admonition and for our learning so that we might have hope. They were written for our admonition and for our learning so that we might have hope. You get into the new covenant whenever you're prophesying over anybody, it should always have hope in it. Why? I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you. They are a future, right? Come on, we know what the heart of God is. This is new covenant prophecy here. Simply put, here's what I do. I avoid any prophetic that tells me God's going to do something that has clearly already been done in Scripture. Well, you've got to know your word, number one. You've got to know your word. But anytime somebody prophesies over me and says God's going to do something and I can see it already clearly done in Scripture, I get it. I don't try to bring correction. I just say, thank you, God. Thank you for reminding me of this. This, this is what you've given me and this is what I have. This is what I have. Everybody stand up here. Man. Let me encourage you guys. Again, get your word out. Get your word out. Start reading it. Start reading it. If you want to know where you test this stuff, it's through the word. Hello? Test it. Don't make fun or hold on to what's bad because the word says don't despise prophecy. Test all things. Hold fast that which is what? Oh, I'm holding on to the good stuff, not the bad stuff. That's what we do. Hold on to it. Let's let's prophesy. Let's, Let's receive according to new covenant realities. Let's recognize that this idea that there's a separation from God, that doesn't exist. Can we say amen to that? It doesn't exist anymore. All right, just hold your hands out for a second. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you that you came in and closed a gap that we could never close. Thank you, God, that you absolutely took us and brought us into full reconciliation with you. Mm. Yes, God. Thank you, God, that you didn't need to ask my permission to do it. Mm, Jesus, thank you, God. Lord, I'm praying for all of us right here that we would just in our sleep, in our waking moments, in our prayer times, in whatever times we're having, Lord, I pray that you would encounter us again and again and again at such a deep level that the reality of who you are, Christ in me, the hope of glory, would come so much to the surface that we recognize there is no separation from you. Everywhere we go, every time I breathe in, every time I breathe out, you're right there. Every time I talk to another person, you're right there. Every time I talk with you, you're right there. You're not at a distance from us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Um, We have, uh, I just want to point this out real quick. Um, We have someone in our body here who's going to be leaving, and they have been with us. They're one of the very few. There's only a couple more that have been with us since we started meeting in our home. Um, 
Leah, in the back, back there, raise your hand, Leah. I don't want to embarrass you, Leah, but we're just so grateful and so thankful for you, for your involvement in our family and in this church and your investment into it for so long. Leah's been really hearing the Lord about moving uh, back to Alva. <laughs> yeah, I hear it's a wide spot in the road. Never seen it. <laughs> Maybe I was driving too fast. I don't know. But she's moving back to Alva. She's going to be with her family. So I want you guys just to really bless her today, all right, before you get out of here. And just, if you don't know her, bless her anyway. Just thank her for being a part of the family and being with us. We are so appreciative of you, Leah. Thank you so much, all right? All right, well, bless you all, and happy Father's Day. You guys enjoy. Amen? Amen. Prayer teams, go ahead and make your way up here. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.